0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Guymere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, guymerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. Good morning. Uh, Our Bible reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, and we're reading from the New International Version. And this passage is headed Jesus Calms the Storm.
1: We live in pretty anxious times, don't we? I don't know what you thought when you saw their theme for this year, the end of fear, but we live in pretty anxious times, don't we? And I'm not talking about the anxiety that we face, say, at a world level. Uh, You know, the ongoing devolution of uh, U.S. diplomacy around the world or the situation in North Korea or even, as we've just been reminded of, the ongoing crisis in Syria, let alone the things in Yemen and whatnot. I'm talking about just the kind of the stress and anxiety that we face here as individuals. It's pretty stressful right now, isn't it? Uh, The Australian um, Bureau of Statistics uh, suggests that every 12 months, 2 million Australians experience some sort of significant anxiety. And the current statistics are that one in four of us, at some point in time, will experience severe and debilitating uh, anxiety over the course of our lives. One in three women, one in five men. Stressful times. Uh, And yet in the face of that, the very first words of the Christmas story in Luke's gospel, the first spoken words are the angel to the shepherd saying, do not be afraid. And there's something about Jesus's appearance on earth. There's something about the coming of our Lord that signals the end of fear. And so what we want to be trying to do over the next several weeks, and this will take us through carols and through Christmas and uh, into just, in, uh, just on the edge of the new year, is to examine a little bit about some of the sources of anxiety. I think we know we're anxious. I'm not sure we always know why we're anxious, to have a look at some of that and then try to figure out what difference Jesus might make. Now, let me ask you this question then as we begin. Just think to yourself, I'm going to give you kind of 10 seconds to think. What are the major changes that you've gone through over the last year? What are the most significant changes? Changes in health, work, living arrangements, family. Just think for a moment. Anyone here not go through any changes over the last year? Hmm, none of us. How many of you would say that you went through a significant change this last year? Okay, about maybe 15% of us, something like that. How many of you experienced just a whole heap of change that you're not too fussed about, but you know it all happened, right? That's all of us, isn't it? change happens all the time. And not all changes are bad. Many changes that we experience in our lives are quite positive. You know, you might step into a new role at work, or you might take on a new job, or you might move house, or downsize houses, or whatnot. And that's a good positive change. You've chosen to make that, that move, uh, and it's been pretty helpful for you. Uh, not all of our changes uh, are necessarily big. I mean, most big changes, of course, moving houses made up of thousands of little decisions and little changes. But, you know, they're not all massive changes in our lives. Not all of us Experience some sort of earth-shattering change, and not all choices are things that kind of happen to us. Often we get to choose, but regardless of how big or small a change is, regardless of how, 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 well, whether we get to choose or whether we don't get to choose, the, the thing about change for us is it's almost constant, isn't it? It is just utterly constant. The only constant is, as they say, change. And there are some pretty significant reasons for why change is such a critical part of our world. I don't know if you've ever thought about this part, but you know, for us, efficiency is related to speed, isn't it? Can you imagine if I said to you, I've got this really efficient system, but it takes months? Your automatic reaction will be well, exactly that, the chuckle, right? Be like, no, you don't understand efficiency. Efficiency for us is all about speed. So a few weeks ago, when we were talking a bit about multitasking, I don't know if you remember that, you know, this idea of multitasking. And we, we prize and value multitasking because that means we are able to do more things at the same time. It's a bit of a myth, of course. Our brains can't actually do two things at the same time. We can just switch really rapidly between things. And the most efficient way in reality, the neuroscience tells us, is actually just to focus on something and do it. Maybe you have to focus on it and do it very quickly, but the more efficient way is to actually spend time doing less things. But for us in our culture, efficiency and speed are related. And efficiency is important because, as they say, time is money, right? And so if we have limited time, a limited resource, then we need to squeeze the maximum out of that time. And efficiency and speed then relate to each other. And so we're kind of conditioned to want things to move really, really quickly. And our society complies, doesn't it? Part of this is technologically driven, isn't it? In part because technology changes so quickly. I saw in the Sydney Morning Herald this morning, uh, text messaging turns 25 now. Now and, and seriously, that's become big not 25 years ago, right? 25 years ago, like I think I knew two people who had a mobile phone. And like it was only mobile because you could theoretically carry it from place to place, right? It was a pretty big deal. But that's just new technology. Uh, Smartphones and all the technology that's come with that, all the language that's wrapped around that. Technology itself just changes so quickly, doesn't it? In fact, one of the the minor ways that our lives change every single day, it seems, is with our technology. And for those of you who have smartphones, which is nearly most of you, you know the App Store logo on an iPhone? Every single day, it seems, I've got an update to install. Every single day. Everything's changing all the time. But technology is not just changing itself. Technology also drives how, how much change we're aware of. Given the technological advances, we're now aware of change that happens all over the world, aren't we? We're not only aware of the big changes, it's so gone were the days when we cared about our local government, when we'd read the, the leader and that was kind of all we needed to know. Now we know what's happening at a state level, in other states, in our national government. We know what's happening in governments around the world. In our Facebook feed, we get lots of different ideas that are also changes for us, different ways to see the world, all these different um, uh, inventions and ways of doing things. And through Facebook, we also find out not only about all the big changes, but all the little changes in all the people's lives that we are connected with, right? We know all about the weddings and the children and the grandchildren and the new jobs and the new houses, so we are just flooded with change, aren't we? Everywhere we look, every single day, we we are faced with change. Now, here's, here's the difficulty. Change is stressful. Even if you love change, it's still stressful, isn't it? Let me give you a kind of a minor example. One of the changes that I've experienced this year, a change that I did not, uh, I did not uh, initiate, but which has happened nonetheless, is that they're upgrading Janali train station. Right? So on Tuesdays when I go into college, uh, I take the train, and uh, over the course of this year, they've been changing the train station. And so, you know, there'd come a day, I'd park my car, I'd walk up to the station, and after a while, they started really changing the entryways. And so I kind of came around the corner, and I couldn't go on the footpath. There was a detour. It's like, oh, okay, now where do I go? You know, I'm trying to catch the train. I'm like, how far is this detour? And I walk across the street and down the hill, and I'm looking, at, where do I get in? Is there a step there? And, you know, I got on the train. I made the train fine. I wasn't super stressed out. I didn't lie awake that night going, wow, I can't believe I survived that change, right? But it's just this minor little thing, isn't it? And there's just uncertainty that comes with every single change. You experience it with your technology, Uh, Earlier this year, I can't remember when now, I didn't write it down because it wasn't that big a life change for me, I updated the software on my phone. And when you update the operating system, suddenly things change. You can't find things anymore, right? That app that you used to be able to access, that thing that you knew how to do, now you can't do it anymore, I spent like 20 minutes trying to find the flashlight last time I updated. I was in the dark, and I couldn't find it anymore. It was completely gone. I'm like, where'd the flashlight go? Now, again, on the scale of 1 to 100, 100 being life-shattering change and 1 being I didn't notice it, that was fairly kind of in the single digits, right? But in that moment, there's just that little bit of uncertainty. Now, multiply that across your entire life. Do you see why we're so anxious in the face of rapid change? Uh, Alvin Toffler, a name that you might recognize, wrote in 1970 a book called Future Shock. If you don't know the name uh, of Alvin Toffler, you at least heard Future Shock. His premise was essentially that change was so rapid that it was going to end up causing enormous stress and anxiety, not just in individuals, but at a cultural, societal level. I think he may have been onto to something, don't you think? This is part of what we experience now. And part of the problem for us is that our our bodies actually anticipate and expect consistency. Your brain expects consistency. And so when we encounter something new, whatever it might be, the new path to get to the train station or the the new operating system on our phone, we compare what we expected to happen with what is actually happening and have to work out the, the gap right? There's a physiological response. Think about the startle response, kind of at the extreme end. When something happens that we didn't anticipate, we're startled. Well, we have that experience every single day in hundreds of different ways, This is part of the reason why we are so stressed out uh, and so anxious in the midst of change, even though at the same time we quite like change because, of course, it suggests that things are happening quickly and we're being efficient and all of those things. And the impact itself is not just uh, in the fact that we feel a little bit anxious. It also has some physical side effects. Uh, There's a a stress scale invented by Holmes and Ra uh, in in the late 1960s, which basically gave you a score for every major change that happened in your life. And what they found was the higher your stress score, the more likely you were to be sick. And it wasn't like you were a little bit more likely to be sick. It was a lot more likely. If you scaled really high on the stress scale, they could almost guarantee that you'd be sick. So anxiety is not just something that we carry and feel. It's not just the uncertainty. It's not just the insecurity. It can actually have some physical responses to us. This is what we kind of end up facing And we can end up feeling a little bit in the midst of all the change that we encounter, all the change that we experience. We can end up feeling a bit like we're drowning, can't we? It's just things change so quickly. Everything is so new all the time. What stays the same? Even the neighborhoods are changing, right? Uh, Two houses got knocked down on our street in the last couple of weeks. Gone. Wow, look at that. Even the things of your neighborhood are all different, Uh, and this sort of change happens all across the board, and I think it leads to a fair amount of anxiety. Uh, Now, there are lots of coping mechanisms, aren't there? Uh, When I was doing a bit of research on this, there's lots of different coping mechanisms, various ways you address change and how you face it and how you think about it and all those sorts of things, and of course, uh, kind of the more extreme examples of anxiety, there's medication and counseling and all those sorts of things. And I don't want to suggest for a moment that any of those on that spectrum are not appropriate. Uh, there are times when anxiety became, can be so debilitating in people's lives that medication gives them a place to stand. I think there's a real value in that. Uh, there are coping mechanisms that I think I would classify as kind of standard wisdom and are pretty valuable whenever you face something stressful or uncertain in your life. But as a follower of Jesus, it seems strange to say that Jesus would make no difference surely Jesus makes some difference. I don't want to get too simplistic. I don't want to say that it's Jesus or, right? Which is often how it gets framed up, right? You shouldn't be anxious. Jesus says, don't worry. So don't worry. Right. Easier said than done, isn't it? Right? So I don't want to suggest for a moment that any of those coping mechanisms or coping strategies are not appropriate or helpful. But at the same time, what difference does Jesus make? So I want to have a bit of a look at this passage that was read a little bit earlier out of Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles with you, you might want to have a bit of a look at it this morning. Uh, The the disciples have not experienced uh, rapid change, although apparently storms can come up very, very quickly on the Sea of Galilee. They're not facing the same thing that we are. But I think the context uh, and, and how they respond in an anxious moment, I think actually gives us some fairly important insights. Uh, You're familiar with the story if you've read through the Gospels before. If you're not familiar with the story, let me just very briefly recount it for you. Jesus has been teaching. They finished uh, kind of the ministry for the day, and Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Don't know exactly how long it would take to get across, but they could do it in the evening. While they're traveling, of course, there's this massive storm that springs up on the lake, uh, and uh, the boat is nearly swamped. Jesus, somewhat miraculously, is able to sleep. Uh, and this is, keep in mind, this is not like a luxury cruise liner. This is like an open like, boat. They've recovered some from the Sea of Galilee. And they're like, I don't know, 20 feet long uh, and open. So I don't know how he was sleeping. It must have been the Son of God or something. But he was asleep. The disciples come and say, we're, we're in a whole heap of strife. Jesus gets up, says to the wind and the waves, be quiet already. I'm trying to sleep, Right? Everything goes quiet. The disciples thought they were scared by the storm, realized they weren't scared at all by the storm. Now they're really scared by the fact that there's a guy in their boat who can stop storms, right? Uh, And and the the story is kind of in in terms of the the gospel narrative, it's meant to focus on the authority and identity of Jesus. So the last question of the disciples is kind of where the lesson sits, right? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And that kind of picks up a theme that Mark has been developing in his gospel. Uh, Jesus' authority in how he teaches, Jesus' authority over the demons, his authority to forgive sins. All of these have been kind of questioned throughout. And here we have another example. But I actually think there's there's something else that I think that's fairly curious in this, kind of a, shall we say, a subplot in, in the story. And it's wrapped up in the in what the quest, the story, in what the disciples say when they wake Jesus up. If you have your Bible with you and just have a quick look in verse 38, Jesus is asleep in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Nice little detail. It was wet. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Just think about that for a moment. They've just asked Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? Don't you care? And that's a really kind of a curious question. The story in Mark's gospel, as it continues, doesn't just pick up this theme of authority, but it also picks up Jesus' care. Without answering the question in so many words, we find that Jesus does care. He cares for people like, in the next chapter, the demon possessed man and a 12 year old girl who has died and a woman who has experienced 12 years of bleeding. These are people that he cares for. The answer is yes, he cares, but he doesn't say it in so many words. But I think sometimes we can have that same question, can't we? When we end up feeling really anxious and really stressed, really worried, really really fearful, we can sometimes come to the Lord and say, Don't you care? Like, don't you care that this is, this is happening to me? Don't you care? Like, where's the peace that I hear about? Where's this peace that passes understanding? Where's the wisdom that I've heard so much about? Where's the discernment? Where's the light for my path? Where is this? Don't you care? And I think it's important to, to I guess, to recognize we can ask those questions, first of all. And then Jesus, uh, I found this really intriguing. I'll come back to this a, a little bit later on. When Jesus gets up, he doesn't say anything to disciples. He stills the storm, and then he turns to them and says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Does anyone else think to yourself, I think it's pretty obvious? Like, do you have to be the Son of God to know the answer to why were you so afraid? Well, we were drowning, and the boat was about to break up. That's why we were so scared. And, and Jesus says, don't you have any faith? They're like, yeah, except when we're about to drown. Right? And I sometimes wonder, and this is what I want to come back to a little bit later on, I wonder what the disciples would have had to have done for Jesus to have rebuked the wind and the waves and then turned to them and said, well done, you handled that perfectly. Would they have just had to wait? until the boat broke up and they were all drowning and Jesus would save them at the last minute? Is that what they would have had to have done as they were blubbing to the bottom, that Jesus kind of, you know, parts the waters and they all kind of walked out of the Sea of Galilee? Jesus goes, there, see, just have faith. This is not always easy, is it? And facing anxiety and stress and worry and fear is not easy. And it's not even easy to figure out exactly what it is that would be the way of faith. What does it mean for the disciples here to have faith? The boat's breaking up for crying out loud. The time for faith has gone. Now's the time for watching my life flash before my eyes and saying one last final prayer. It's not always easy to know how we are to handle this. But I think there are three things in here that, in this little passage, that I think are really helpful for us in whatever anxious uh, and fearful circumstances we face. The first of them is, is this Jesus is with them in the boat. Now, at Christmas, we believe that God became human identified with us in this really significant way. We believe that not only through the incarnation, which is the kind of the fancy theological word for what happened, but also through the presence of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is still with us. He's not distant. He's not absent. He's not kind of far off in heaven, no longer really paying attention. He's not the absent parent, or He's not the parent in the house while the kids are in the backyard and something happens and they're too far away. He's with them in the boat. He's with them in the boat. He's experiencing what they are experiencing. However, secondly, he is not worried by the things that worry his disciples. Did you notice that? Jesus just, is, just doesn't seem fussed. He's sleeping in a squall. And he wakes up. He doesn't say anything to his disciples right away. He just stands up and says, quiet, be still. Right. Why are you blocked so self right now? Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I've been, um, that I've been reflecting on and trying to practice in my leadership as I seek to develop in, in, in that whole area is uh, something that was, I'm not sure if it was coined, but it was popularized by Edwin Friedman. Uh, he talks about being a non-anxious presence, and that one of the most powerful things that we can do in leadership is just not freak out when people are freaking out, right? If you're a parent or a grandparent, you know this is true, Right? Your little kids, it's a big storm. They're freaking out. The worst thing you can do is go, yeah, I'm freaked out too. What if the gum tree falls down? The roof falls off of the house. It's awful. That's just going to make it worse for the kids, isn't it? You don't want to add to their worry by giving them yours. Instead, we practice, as parents, being a non-anxious presence, don't we? It's going to be okay. It'll be fine. Don't worry. It's just the thunder and the lightning and the storm will pass. It'll be fine in the morning. Huh? non-anxious presence. It doesn't mean we don't care for our children. It doesn't mean that there aren't concerns that we might share. We're not aloof or distant, but we're trying to just say it like, I'm not concerned at the same level you are concerned. We will be okay, non-reactive. Jesus is this non-anxious presence, isn't he? He's this non-anxious presence in our life, which is why we can bring all our cares and concerns to him, because Jesus isn't going to panic, is he? If we bring all of our cares and say, I'm so anxious about all of these things, this is all the stuff I have to worry about. Can you imagine if Jesus, in prayer, kind of went, oh, I'm freaking out too. That's a, I, I can't handle that. We can bring all our cares and concerns to him because, well, he cares for us. And not only is he not anxious, or doesn't, he doesn't have anxiety from the things that cause us anxiety, he is also able, of course, to deal with those things that bring us anxiety who is this even the wind and the waves obey him be calm be still you Now I come back to that question of what would the disciples had to have done for Jesus to have turned and said you handled that perfectly you handled that with real faith and I, I don't know the answer you know, I've been thinking about it for years now uh, ever since I've kind of really began, I, I, had a comment, I was reading the commentary and he kind of raised the question of, you know, don't you care? And Jesus' response, I thought, I, I, I don't know. But, but I wonder, I wonder if it's not in this space, that if the disciples had woken Jesus and instead of saying, don't you care, had said, Lord, there's a really big storm and we're, we're really worried. The boat is swamped. We can't bail it out but we believe that you can help. Would you help? It's just it's a, it's a, it's a different way of approaching it, isn't it? I, I don't think they would have said it nearly as calmly as I did. They're yelling over the wind, and they're yelling over the waves, and there probably would have been some anxiety in their voice, but instead of saying, don't you care to say, Lord, you can save us? W- would you save us? Here's our situation. I wonder if that would have been enough faith because elsewhere in the gospel, you don't actually need too much faith, do you? You don't need too much faith at all. Remember the woman who's suffering from the bleed and she comes up behind Jesus and just not going to touch his robes? To me, that sounds like superstition. You may have heard me say this before. If, someone come, if you came up to me after the service and said, could I just kind of rub the communion table for a blessing? I'd say, no, you cannot do that. that. That's superstition. I'll pray for you for a blessing. You can't rub the table for a blessing. So if I see anyone by the table rubbing it later on, it doesn't work that way. But when Jesus, when she's healed and Jesus kind of calls her out of the crowd, what does he say? Your faith has saved you. The demon-possessed man doesn't even have any faith. The demons in him say, we recognize who you are, don't destroy us. He has no free will, it seems, in that case, and yet he is saved by Jesus. Is it enough for us simply to turn to Jesus and say... I'm really worried. I experience so much change. All these things have happened. All these stressful things have come up. I am worried. I am sick to death with worry. But I believe that you can help me. Would you help me? And perhaps, in the midst of all of our other coping mechanisms and our coping strategies, we might find in that moment where Jesus' non-anxious presence and his authority steps into our life and brings peace that passes understanding. That gives us a place to stand, a place to stand and a place to begin to live without fear, but with the reassurance that comes from him. So this morning I want to invite you to bring your anxieties and cares before the Lord. Because he is here with us. He is here with you. He is not as anxious about the things that you are anxious about and he has the authority to bring peace to those circumstances. In a moment I'm gonna pray, and then Janelle's gonna lead us in a couple of songs that kind of pick some of these themes up. The old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Cornerstone. In the midst of all the waves and the storms of our lives, we have a cornerstone in Jesus. And can I encourage you, perhaps, if you want to come down to the front and we pray with you about things that make you anxious or are worrying you now, or to pray with the person next to you, or just to pray quietly on your own. To take these this opportunity to respond. All of us are anxious because there is so much change in our lives. None of us can escape it. How are we going to respond? This is your invitation to bring those things to Jesus.